0: You know, there's this like elephant in the room that's not being addressed, which is if you're feeling rotten about yourself and overwhelmed and just, you know, generally swamped, uh, that gets in the way of everything else we're trying to do, you know, and that's, you know, just a huge missing piece of the whole picture of, you know, so much of what we're being asked to do in life in general, um, but certainly very specifically to ADHD is hard you know change is hard and sticking to a new routine is hard and problem solving is hard and all these things you know that's just life i mean and and with adhd it's even more intense you know if you come at it with a you know just hyperactive self-critical voice in your mind that just undermines everything
1: Everybody and Welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm right here with Nikki Kinzer.
2: Hello, everyone. Hey, Nikki. Hello, Pete Wright.
1: How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. How are you?
1: Yeah, you I'm great, always. Just always great. Always
2: great. great.
1: <laughs> Good weekend. You know what we did? You know what we did this weekend? We're putting in a, a little itty-bitty library. Oh. In our front yard. Oh. Do you know those oh, things? Oh, so
2: that people can come by and yeah. pick what they want. And put, Leave a book. Put stuff book. in there. Yeah, that's great.
1: So fun. So this weekend was screwing the post hole screw, the giant land screw, into the earth through rock go? and it was hard. It was hard. I'm screwing. It's only like two feet long. And screwing it into the earth was, we had to go to Home Depot and get tools. Oh my gosh. Home Depot? We did. You had to yeah, go we to Home all the Depot? I, we had, the neighbors were out in the cul-de-sac and they were like watching this activity. And I'm out there in my flannel pajama pants <laughs> to, trying to screw this thing. in. I thought this is going to be easy, but we're going through like two feet of root and stone. That's yes, really what's underneath yes. our house. So we went, we got a, we got a, uh it's a it's essentially a 6 foot crowbar right with a a point on the end of it that's used to break through concrete and stuff and we had to use that to actually get into the ground mm-hmm. into the earth mm-hmm. uh, i don't know how anything lives like we have trees and grass how does it live down there it's just it's just hate <laughs> underneath the ground it's just stone and hate stone. that's what it feels yeah. like it took anyway well, do you that was my enough? weekend i well, we don't have it up because we only just got it screwed into oh, the Earth. We okay. have it now in the Earth, and it is settling, I guess. I, I don't well, know. The Earth is Well, you need to take a picture it.
2: when it's all done.
1: Oh, yeah. We it's see so it. cute. Yeah, I bet so it is. Cute. That's awesome. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. So anyway, that was my weekend and I'm very excited about it because, you know, I just love anything. We got a basketball hoop. The neighbors kind of come and play anytime. I just love the community yeah. that comes to our house. So I'm, I'm awesome. really excited about that. I love having the kids around, which is why I'm thinking about it because of today's guests. I know. It's about the teens. It
2: is. It's about the teens. I love it. I can't wait to, to pick their brains.
1: Oh, yeah. When you had babies, were you scared of teens?
2: No, I wasn't thinking about Ugh. it. And then they became teenagers and I'm thinking why did I not think about this when they were babies? <laughs>
1: I know. No, I know, it's
2: different right? problems. I mean, it's just different issues and yeah. Um
1: I, yeah, it's hard. I was always terrified of my kid my babies becoming teens mm-hmm. because I was like I I just all I remember from my teen experience was the struggle. Right. And I didn't want them to have to go through it. I, I, but uh, it turns out, you know what, they they get through they it. They do. It's, it's never as hard, I think, as it's made up in my head, even when it's really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to talk about mindfulness and self-compassion for teen ADHD. In fact, the authors of a book by that very name uh, are joining us in just a bit. Before we do that, head over to TakeControlADHD.com and get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to our mailing list, and we'll send you an email each time a new episode is released. You can connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at Take control ADHD. And if the show has ever touched you or helped you make a change in your life for the better, if you found that your understanding of your relationship with ADHD is different in some way, we invite you to consider supporting the show directly through Patreon. Patreon is listener-supported podcasting. With a few dollars a month, you can help guarantee we continue to grow the show, add new features, invest more heavily in our community. You could very well push us over the, over the hump. You could be the one that pushes us over the hump toward our new members-only podcast that is coming very soon.
2: What's
1: the name? Well, now it's still, solilo- it's still soliloquy because I didn't do my homework. Oh, and I, all okay. I got stuck on soliloquy and it's soliloquy. still that. But maybe it's just
2: that.
1: talking to himself yeah. with Pete Wright. Maybe go. that's it. I don't know. But it's going to be great. And I'm very excited about uh, showcasing guests from our community, showcasing more member experiences, talking about technology, tools, tips, systems, processes, uh, and things like that on maybe soliloquy with Pete. That could be the name. Who knows?
2: All I have to say is anytime you're promoting it or talking about it, you're the one that's going to be saying that word. I can't say it.
1: how will you ever learn if don't, you don't practice?
2: Well, that's true. I gotta practice. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it's Thank a you, Coach Pete.
1: <laughs> I can Nailed do it. hard
2: things. Nailed it.
1: Okay. <laughs> Visit patreon.com/slash/theADHDpodcast. Patreon.com/slash/theADHDpodcast to learn more. All right, Nikki. We have announcement. Gosh,
2: I just feel like I got caught.
1: You did. <laughs> player, thou hast played thyself.
2: No kidding. All right. See how easy we can get into that trap, but how easy we can get out of it and look at possibilities. So there we go. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, I just want to briefly talk about the GPS uh, workshop. It's coming up in a couple weeks. The deadline to enroll is uh, Wednesday, September 8th. I know that a lot of you don't listen to these podcasts necessarily when we put them out. Uh, But the good news about GPS is that they're ongoing every six weeks. And so even if you miss the one that's starting in September, you can probably maybe get the one that's next, which is six weeks after that. And I don't know what the exact date is, but it would be six weeks after September. (laughs) 8th <laughs> or 13th, September I don't know. See, the yeah, numbers right. aren't going, they're not coming to me. But anyway, GPS yeah. is a uh, twice weekly workshop where we are planning. So it's not just uh, learning the planning process and and getting familiar with the different steps that I teach you, but it's really giving you the time and the space to do the planning with me and with other people that are going through the exact same uh, challenges but also being able to share the successes and all of the you know, great things that you can possibly learn about yourself when you really take the time um, to plan and see, you know, how can I best prioritize? How can I uh, get these things done? And just all of that that is confusing and hard and messy. We're trying to uh, make it a little bit easier for you so you can walk away from the GPS with a system and feel more confident about your planning.
1: It is a great program, and the schedule—the Monday Thursday schedule—is just so smart. S M R T smart Uh, GPS program. You can learn more about it on the website. Thanks, everybody. Now let's uh, let's meet the docs. We have a fantastic show today. We are talking today to Drs. Mark Burton and Karen Bluth. They are the authors of Mindfulness and Self-Compassion for Teen ADHD. I don't know why it says teen in it. I've read the book and it's like it was written for me. Karen and Mark, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much. It's great to see you both. It's
1: great to be here. I'm, I'm reading this book. And I've read, I, I feel like I've been, you've been in my head for the last about, you know, 24 hours, because I really plowed through it over the last day. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm a 50-year-old man, right? Like, and I still feel like you're talking straight to me. And I think part of that is because my ADHD makes me feel like a child inside a lot of the time. Is that something you've ever heard?
3: Yeah, you know, when I first heard that, I heard, that there are some things about it that um, that are refreshing, actually. You know, I think sometimes we get we get as adults we get really stuck into these adult mo- um, adult modes and modes of thinking and ways of being. And sometimes it's nice to have that refreshing childlike um, outlook. So I don't know if that's what you were referring to, or you're referring to uh, something else.
1: Well, I think it goes, I, I think there are two sides to it. One is, yeah, I feel like I I can, I have this sort of uh, potentially a, a creative energy, a, a, you know, a, a sort of frivolousness of the way I think that is that I, I appreciate in myself. And also, when I am at, at my most compromised as a result of ADHD, I feel uh, I, it is very easy for me to lose the one thing that you guys are, are really nailing with this book, which is how to talk to myself compassionately and how to forgive myself for the things uh, that I that I see as as faults and challenges. And and that is the thing that I think was really beautiful about the way you wrote this. book. I've read a lot of ADHD books and, you know, they they sound like they're they're written for well, for grownups. This one. I felt like you were talking to my inner child, right? My inner teenager. And that was gloriously refreshing. And and so I guess I first want to say thank you. As an adult, I appreciate this book. I know I'm probably not your your like right over the strike zone like audience, but I really appreciated the book.
0: I mean, thank you Pete, and that's really great to hear. I mean, I and um you know, I think there's um something to be said for just keeping things simple a lot. And, um, you know, in, in talking to, you're, you're not the first person I've heard that from um, about it being like written in a way that adults could appreciate it. Um, and some of that I think is just that you don't want to talk down to teens. You just want to keep things simple. So it's still all the right information and it's trying to be honest and straightforward about things. Um, and because they're teenagers, you know, we're trying to sort of just, you know, we try to keep it as direct as, po- you know, sort of, you know, keep it as as uh, accessible as possible. So I think that's something that's coming, you know, that that hopefully comes across in general. Um, I mean, there's a little bit of a spin, you know, trying, to, one of the things we were aiming for too is trying to, uh, you know, think like a teenager and like who would read the book. Uh, but, you know, but that doesn't, I, I you know, I think everybody can connect with that in some way. You know, you want to be appreciated for who you are and wherever you are in life. And that's, you know, what you want. And whenever you're trying to connect with a teenager, that's kind of what you're aiming for.
2: One of the things that I really appreciated about it is that there's so many books around strategies and tips and how to do this and how to make things better. And, and um, what I love about the book is that the focus, you have some of those things for sure. And you have some great exercises to practice mindfulness but the 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 core principle was that self-compassion and how to use mindfulness. Uh, and And I realized reading through the book, well, that's what the title <laughs> is. Of course, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> but, it was, but it was still this like, oh, this is such a needed conversation, mm-hmm. especially for our our teenagers because both Pete and I, we're right in the middle of, of parenting teenagers. Mm-hmm. I have a 15 and an almost 19-year-old or 16 and almost 19-year-old. See, I can't even remember what their ages are. <laughs> oh, I have so many questions too, because I told my daughter that I was reading this and she said, oh yeah, I don't have any self-compassion. I don't have that.
1: So cut and dry.
2: Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm so curious about, you know, your, your intentions behind writing the book and what you were thinking when you were saying this is going to be for teenagers.
3: So this is what my, you know, my work specifically is about self-compassion and teenagers. You know, that's, Um, that's my focus. It's my research focus. And it's also, um, and and absolutely for the reasons that you both mentioned is that, that teens really, really struggle with this. They really, they're excessively hard on themselves, extremely hard on themselves, very self-critical, very self-judgmental. And um, they don't have to be, you know? And so the message that we're trying to get across with this book is and and frankly, with, you know, all, with all my work is, is um, that you don't have to beat yourself up so much that you don't have to be so hard on yourself. You can still be successful. You can still get done what you want to get done. You can still have friends, you know, and it isn't, um, you don't have to be so hard on yourself. By the way, this, adults could stand to hear this a lot also and you know there are programs for adults but
0: um, our focus Mark and my focus is on teens you know i always think dr barkley's uh summary of adhd that it's not a disorder of not knowing what to do it's a disorder of not doing what you know mm-hmm. captures so much mm-hmm. of just you know mm-hmm. here you are as a teen struggling with all the typical you know developmental uh experiences we all have gone through um, but with ADHD, you're often struggling more in some aspect of life. And, you know, you might not even be clear that it's your ADHD, but, you're, you know, that's part of the diagnosis is that it's impacting something. Mm-hmm. Pretty often quite under addressed around ADHD, uh, both in teens. You know, I, I do a lot of work with parents, too, is that, you know, the, there's this, like, elephant in the room that's not being addressed, which is if you're feeling rotten about yourself and overwhelmed and just, you know, generally swamped, Uh, that gets in the way of everything else we're trying to do, you know, and that's, you know, just a huge missing piece of the whole picture of, you know, so much of what we're being asked to do in life in general, um, but certainly very specifically to ADHD is hard, you know, change is hard Mm -hmm. and sticking to a new routine is hard and problem solving is hard and all these things, you know, that's just life. I mean, and, and with ADHD, it's even more intense. You know, if you come at it with a, you know, just, Hyperactive, self critical voice in your mind that just undermines everything. I think that's an important point around all of mindfulness and self compassion. I think Karen and I could probably both spend the, the whole time just trying to like dispel myths and just sort of normalize it all. Is, um, you know, it, it's not that, uh, it's not like a self help program. You know, it's way mm, more than that. Yeah. It's that, you know, it's about building resilience. It's, you know, it's about recognizing, you know, really things that we all know, like if we're feeling rotten about ourselves, that changes how we treat everybody else, you know, and that's no small thing, you know, and all of that is part of this, you know, very, you know, wide ranging practice. It's not a very, you know, narrow practice at all.
1: I think that gets to, to mm-hmm. a question I had for you. And you you talk about this. I mean, you, you um, Latch on to Sharon Salzberg, who who calls self compassion our main engine for change in the book. Right, self compassion requires exactly this: talking to yourself as you would a good friend. I'd I'd like to to sort of go back and hang on on Nikki's comment about talking to her daughter about self compassion. Oh yeah, I don't have that. How do you start an engagement with a teen who who doesn't? feel like they have any sort of affinity with self-compassion, with themselves. And be, because we know how important it is, how do you engage them and, and help them learn how important self-compassion is? When we teach them, when we, act, we have classes, and so when they come in for a class,
3: for example, we have an exercise that we do that comes from the Adult um, Self-Compassion Program, which is created by um, Chris Germer and Kristen Neff. And it's called, how would I treat a friend? And what we do is we take them through this exercise of, um, basically what the, what they, what they understand or what they get out of it is that they treat their, their friends, their good friends, much more kindly than they treat themselves. And they can see that through this exercise, it just becomes, um, very clear and very apparent. And so then we give them the definition of self-compassion, the informal definition, which is treating yourself the way you would treat a good friend when you're having a hard time. And that you can do that because you treat your friends that way. You treat your friends kindly. And you can do the same thing for yourself. You're just not used to it. You're just not, um, you know, we're not, we don't raise kids that way to treat themselves with the same kindness as as we teach them to treat other people. So um, from day one, it becomes very clear to them that, oh, they do have the capacity to be kind because they're kind to others. They just are not kind to themselves. So there are a few things that we do. That's one exercise. And then there's another uh, guided practice, which is in the book called Compassionate Friend. Um, And actually, the How how Would I Treat a Friend also is um, in the book. And um, compassionate friend is a guided practice that takes them through, um, and what they get out of that is realizing that they have this kind kind and wise voice within themselves um, at all times that they can access whenever they need to.
2: Which is so important that they do learn that because we can tell them, I mean, I can just tell you as a parent, I can tell her a million times how wonderful I think she is and how great, you know, she's really trying and she's doing really well and, uh, but it, you know, it doesn't connect. But I think the way that you're talking about it is giving her the internal, like empowerment that this is inside her. This is something that she can choose and, and it doesn't, she doesn't have to believe that she doesn't have self-compassion.
0: And, and, you know, one nuance to it all that I think, again, it's part of that broader view of of both mindfulness and self-compassion practice is that it is a practice, you know, that it is something that can change. Um, You know, the first step to changing any habit is you have to be aware, like Karen was just talking about it. First, you just have to notice like, oh, you know, this is how I've been thinking about things. You know, you have to be aware Mm -hmm. that it's going on. And then what's really um, different about, all of these types of practices is the recognition that they seem like they're just permanently like traits that we have that we can't even begin to touch, but that with Mm -hmm. practice, they do change. And, um, and that's, uh, and I think actually that's a particularly important reframe when uh, it comes to talking about mindfulness or self-compassion practice and ADHD. You know, one of the first questions that often comes up is, you know, can people with ADHD even do this stuff? And, um, And the answer is, of course, you know, you just have to, Mm -hmm. sometimes you just have to sort of drop how you've been thinking about it. It's not, that your body's going to be totally still, and it's not that your mind's going to be totally free of thought, you know, that never happens. But we can start to look at like some of the ruts we've been stuck in and the the inner critic and the way we've been beaten up on ourselves. And through, you know, putting the work in, putting the intention in, we can begin to change that kind of bigger picture stuff in ways, you know, that anybody can do if they choose to.
1: Mm -hmm. I I noticed that Mm -hmm. in myself. And I'm thinking about, you know, as a dad with ADHD of ADHD kids that I, you know, as I'm reading the book, I'm reflecting on the fact that when I'm compromised, I'm not kind to myself and I'm modeling behavior. And then sometimes when, you know, when the homework doesn't get turned in or the books don't get brought home for the big project, I am I might be more critical of those sorts of lapses. Uh, because of my own ADHD, it's because of that just massive mm-hmm. projection that I'm wearing around my neck. Because I'm already <laughs> judging myself and feeling miserable about it, and I just, I just don't want. Like, please let my life serve as a warning to others. Right? That's the, mm-hmm. that's the sort of spirit. And I, mm-hmm. I, it is so easy to get wrapped up in your head when I fall out of practice, when I fall out of any sort of mindfulness experience throughout the day, and uh, so I, I found that that really interesting to reflect on. And to your point, we are more malleable than we think we are.
2: Well, and that brings up to a question that I have. So I think that some people do probably uh, confuse meditation and mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious if you could give us an example of how to use mindfulness in in that exact thing that, that Pete just said. Oh, I'm not a calendar person. Like, how would you use mindfulness as a tool to, to help you get through that limiting belief?
0: You know, I think one of the most important things is is to, um, is to separate a little bit what, what's meditation and what's mindfulness, you know? So meditation, this style of meditation uh, isn't very, it's like, you're not trying to make something happen specifically in terms of like, you know, bliss or something. It's, uh, you know, mindfulness is about building awareness of what's really going on. You know, and that has implications, you know, in, in countless different ways. You know, not, and one of my most important things I always say when I start talking about mindfulness is, you know, just like blow apart, ignore all the cliches, put them out of your mind. You know, this this stuff, if, it, if it's not real to you, it's not going to matter. You know, so, you know, why does awareness matter? Because if we're, you know, we're not aware of what's going on, we can't handle it well. You know, there, I mean, just as a starting point, right? So when you start looking at, like, how does mindfulness begin to, affect something like the stories we're telling about ourselves. um, It starts with that type of awareness of, you know, so you're sitting in practice and you're starting to notice what your mind's doing and the places it's going. And part of um, the sort of understanding you're looking to reach is is what kind of we've all touched on already, is that just a lot of it is story. You know, a lot of it is Mm -hmm. just like, this is how I think of me, or this is how I think of ADHD even. You know, I, I mean... I had a good example of that just recently where um a parent who you know just was learning about adhd gave them a discussion just beginning discussion about what executive function is and how it affects day-to-day life and uh, she came back for her next visit and said things were already better at home, which, you know, became like a joke because like, I, we, you know, we hadn't done anything yet, really. And, um, and she said, no, no, they really are. Because now I see that when he's really emotional and impulsive, it's just part of his ADHD. You know, it, like nothing's yeah. changed, but at least I don't blame him for that anymore. You know, and that's the example yeah. of like dropping a story. And, and that's something we can do um, in almost any situation, but it does require... The ability to, I mean, again, this, I don't want to spend my, I can keep going through layers and layers of mindfulness practice, but, you know, we're trying to break those sort of reactive, defensive habits and just Mm -hmm. see things with more clarity. And you start to say like, okay, you know, that thing with to-do lists is just because it's really hard for me. Like I never Mm -hmm. remember them and it's really difficult. So I've started to identify as someone who, you know, can't do that or doesn't like doing that or whatever, you know, box I put it in. But you first have to mm-hmm. identify that and go, oh, okay. You know, that's the story I've been telling myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite practices I was ever, uh, you know, there's just core to mindfulness to me is this is a practice where you notice a thought. And, and if you catch yourself, you can ask yourself really briefly, like, is it true? I mean, I love telling that when I when I talk about mindfulness, I encourage people to do that of anything I'm saying about it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. is this true? Like, does this make sense to you? Because then you can start catching, and again, there's a nuance here if you don't want to be like have life under a microscope. Like if you're, you don't want to be, it's not like you're picking things apart to the point that you're driving yourself nuts, but you do want to catch your beliefs once in a while and go, huh, is that just something, you know, is that a thought? You know, there's a, if um, you might even remember, I forget whose team program used to put up bumper stickers that, uh, what is it, you know, um, shoot now I'm gonna forget it you aren't your thoughts or what's what's the oh oh, Um, yes uh anyway thoughts the point is thoughts are just thoughts some of them are real. some of them they're not not, yeah they're
2: they're not not fact that's it thoughts are not facts yeah you know
0: and you do stuff to catch yourself periodically and make it part of your practice to say like oh you know here I to come back to where Pete started it's like you know well that thought was that I'm the worst parent ever you know yeah Mm -hmm. right I just Mm -hmm. had that thought Oh, oh my gosh I just blew it again and it's like okay you know, that's my inner critic spouting off, but is it true or is it, you know, just one of those habitual thoughts I have a lot?
2: I really appreciate too how you guys both in the book separate, oh, well, that's your ADHD. You know, it, it's, not, it's not who you are. It has, it's not your character. It's not, you know, and I, I think that's a really important piece because I think especially, I work mostly with adults and college students, so I don't work with teenagers or younger people, but I can see where it starts young. Right of believing that I I am everything that my ADHD does, and so I love how you separate that. That nope, that's just that's part of the characteristic or, or one of the the symptoms of having ADHD. So it's a good separation, I think, for young people to understand.
0: Thank you, Nikki. And I, and I think it's, you know, it was certainly part of my thinking and writing it that young college kids are still teens. Yeah. Um, because I think uh, you know that's you know i I certainly you know i- I guess I was imagining younger kids might need to be working with like an adult as they go through the book the younger teens, and you know as you get into college, you know it's something somebody might choose to take on on their own but i but I do think there's the um it's sort of what you both just said i th- I think part of the challenge of working with teens for me quite often is that there's this almost like style of living of like, I'm not the sort of person who, you know, uses calendars, does two, and that's because that's my preference, you know, like it works for everyone else, but I, and you, and, you know, everybody I know who works in the field recognizes that, you know, those sorts of systems are part of dealing with some of the challenges that ADHD causes, you know, I mean, any individual might come up with a different solution, but those are the, you know, Mm -hmm. most proven ones. So, yeah, so so in order to connect the dots, you have to sort of let go of the identification, like this is me, you know, this, this, yeah. this. And, and then you can start hopefully owning like, okay, challenging for me, but these things actually might help.
1: Well, and doesn't it, mm-hmm. doesn't it doesn't really get into mm-hmm. like exactly like, you know, my, my knowledge of child development, adolescent development is, uh, you know, my two kids, right? So <laughs> rigorous <laughs> empirical research, right? But there is this point where, where those preferences are identity, mostly because they're testing who they are. Like, I don't know, I'm just going to say mm-hmm. some stuff and see if it sticks, right? Like it's not mm-hmm. explorational, Perfect. which, which I'm reading this book, I'm thinking how, how How do you both expect teens in this group, teens who may be a little too old to uh, be working with somebody directly, right? Uh, But, you know, not compared to my daughter, say, who's a sophomore in college, who when I told her about this book, she immediately said, I would like to read that, right? It's the, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I don't have a coach, but I'm too young to know that I really need this. Uh, How do you engage that group?
0: Well, I mean, just to work top down, because I sort of how we set it up before, I think you're right. I mean, kids are going to reach an age where there's, you know, probably sounds like more like who Nikki works with, where like you've experienced, they're, you know, old enough to sort of see that they want to do something, you know, they're independent in college, so they, you know, they might take it on on their own. I think, you know, working with high school age teenagers, developmentally is always Mm -hmm. more challenging for that reason, right? I mean, I, I often see it with ADHD. Almost as a little bit of a developmental mismatch where, you know, they're at an age where part of typical development is becoming an individual and stepping away from your parents and all these explorations we all do in high school. And yet ADHD sort of sets you back a few years developmentally and your ability to, you know, be fully independent and, and do those sorts of things skillfully. So, you know, the way to I mean, so the way to engage that age is always gonna be harder. I think the main thing is to start seeing, you know, what is it that engages kids that age? Now, first of all, I would say it's actually a really, in my experience, a really um, useful age to try to connect teens to someone outside the family. So for families who have the resources, that's developmentally expected that they're going to want, you know, somebody who isn't their parents to be giving them Mm -hmm. a lot of advice. So I do think, you know, mind you, there's a whole, you know, socio and economic part of ADHD doesn't get talked enough about. Right. I mean, those are, you know, it's not always so easy to get those services. But if so I do think it's a one way to get in to a general discussion about ADHD with a teenager and also, you know, to a book like ours might be through somebody who isn't a parent for some kids. Um, for some teens it would work perfectly to do it. I have families I'm working with who are doing it with mm-hmm. their kids. So that just is, you know, individual to your family. You know, so for younger kids, it might be like, let's just like, you know, read this together. Could be with a parent, could be with a teacher, could be with their guidance counselor. You know, that's. But I think that's not specific to the book. I think totally. that's you know a, a very specific challenge to teeny to high school ADHD in general. Right, right.
2: In general, yeah. Well, and that that was my thought is when she said that to me. I thought, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna read this book. And I'm going to, I'm going to somehow incorporate it into our conversations. And she's not even going to know. That's right. (laughs) That's came from that. Right. Right. But I think that's also really helpful for parents. Like if you have teenagers and they have any kind of resistance, just read it yourself anyway and, and see what you can learn from it. And uh, I mean, you have great exercises in there too, that. You can teach, you know, as a parent could, could sit down and say, Hey, let's try how we would treat a friend or let's try, um, I do the body scan myself. And so I would say, let's, let's practice this so you can see what this feels like. You know, I have a question though, that is probably going to, um, open up some, some conversation for sure. Emotions, teen emotions are, are all over the place they're hot they're cold they're sad they're happy they're elated they're disappointed I mean they're everywhere and then you add that add ADHD onto that mix which we already know they're going to be um, even more emotional about some of these things you you talk about surfing these feelings and you had these three expressions that that you talked about to help people or to help teens understand this kind of process. Uh, name it, tame it, feel it, heal it, soften, soothe, and allow. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that looks like?
3: Well, first of all, the uh, brain science behind why teens are feeling these extreme of emotions is important to, um, to talk to them about because there are brain changes that are happening um, that, that, explain a good part of why they're, why they experience extremes of emotions. But, um, so this process of, you know, the three different, uh, steps that you mentioned, name it to tame it. So just naming the emotion, um, engages the prefrontal cortex part of the brain, which is, you know, the part that is responsible for logical thinking and making decisions. And it's the part that is, less developed relatively to the emotional part of the brain, the amygdala and the limbic system. So, um, and it's the part that uh, takes until you're 25 or 26 to be fully developed, right? So, so when you name the emotion, it engages the prefrontal cortex part of your brain. And that, um, according to research, calms down the amygdala. It deactivates the emotional part of the brain. So when you're naming it, you're actually starting a process in your brain to, that, calms, that calms down your emotions right, right there. And then we also know that when we're feeling strong emotions, particularly negative strong emotions like anger or frustration or hurt, You know, we have a number of different reactions. One of them is to resist it, push it away, not face it, you know, shove it under the rug so we don't have to feel it because it's not comfortable to feel. But we know that the only way to move through it and to get to the other side is to allow ourselves to feel the emotion. Um, So that's why we say feel it and you can heal it. Sometimes we're not ready and that's fine, you know. You could just engage it a little bit, feel it a little bit, allow yourself to feel it a little bit, and then back away, um, you know, depending on the level of pain or hurt or whatever the emotion is. But, um, so that's the second step. The second part of it is heal it so you can feel it. And then the soft and soothe out allows you to experience, um, the emotion in a way that, um, gives it more space. So it's making it more um, spacious, allowing the feeling to be there. And softening it is, um, you know, you're just imagining, okay, I've got this. You find it in, in a place in your body, first of all, because emotions in your, in your mind move very quickly, but in your body, um, they move more slowly. And so you can um, work with them more easily. So you find where it is in your body. You know, I might be feeling tightness in my throat. And then softening it, you're just imagine, imagining that area to just soften a little bit. And soothing yourself, you know, you might want to put a, you know, a hand on there and just imagine um, that part of your body relaxing a little bit more. And allowing it is just giving it space to allow the feeling to be there. This is a practice that I actually do a lot. And I find it just really, um, it helps me a lot because we tend to really get caught up in our feelings and our emotions. And we tend to be very tight with them, you know? And we tend to engage the story about the emotions. Like, oh, you know, he said that and he shouldn't have said that. And I should have said that. And I didn't say that. And, you know, he's such an idiot. And why did I do this? You know, we have that narrative that goes on and on in our heads all the time. But we have the ability to let go of that narrative and come back to actually finding where it is in our body, finding where that emotion resides in our body, and then working with it in that way.
2: And what a beautiful lesson for these for these teens to, to learn, right? Because that's something that they're going to carry on for the rest of their lives, because there's always going to be something that we're feeling. And, you know, I think that when you say feel it, I I know that uh, my daughter just lost her guinea pig and it was a very traumatic experience for her. And we told her, it's like, you know what? Grieve. It's okay. It's sad. It's disappointing. And and let's feel it. And so for about five days, she was in a area where it was very dark and she watched TV and she just did very little and she cried a lot and she talked to us and then she'd cry some more. And then I would say about the fifth day, all of a sudden, her mood started like getting better. She started talking more. She went with a friend yesterday. Like, so it's starting to get, you know, more like herself. And, and I have to, listening to you, I have to say, okay, I think we did the right <laughs> thing. Like, we let, you know, we didn't try to like fix it or, you know, pretend like it was going to be okay. It was sad. I mean, it was really sad. And so I, yeah, I appreciate you explaining that. And, um, you know, I think as parents, it's so easy to want mm-hmm. to fix that.
3: I was just thinking that. I was just thinking that. As as parents, it's so hard because you don't want to see your kids suffer and struggle and, and be in pain mm-hmm. and, and you want to fix it. And that's, you know, and that's our tendency. You know, I have two daughters who are in their late mm-hmm. 20s and I still find myself falling into that and I have to catch myself,
1: you know, nope, you don't have to fix it that it it reminds yeah. me kids they're they're such physical beings right they already have a sense of body because they are they're growing and changing and they know when things hurt and when they're grieving and they have stomach aches like they know where the pain is and they already have a sense of body i think introducing them to a more intentional somatic practice is like mm-hmm. what what a perfect time to get them and i think it's a real gift that you are you're pushing in this direction for parents to be thinking about, hey, if, you know, this is a way for your kid to explore emotions in a way that you don't have to fix, right? You don't have to resolve everything that, that comes along. Like You can just let them experience, and we're going to show you, you know, through exercises how, how to let them self-soothe. They already know how to do it. We're just going to help them know that it's okay. It's okay mm-hmm. to, to soothe yourself this way. It's, mm-hmm. it's okay, mm-hmm. and it'll serve you for so, so long. I, I feel like I, I get so caught up in my own head around systems and processes that you know I, I, I intend I intend, again, when I'm compromised, to move through the emotional piece so fast so I can get to the other side of it and make sure my systems are all okay and don't give myself even long enough practice and and sit in the 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 sort of physical embodiment of whatever I'm feeling at the time. And uh, that that can be something I've I model better for my kids. We already have the language, the body language, the emotional language. We just we can model it better for each other. Mm-hmm. See, that's powerful. Oh,
2: well, we you. highly, highly recommend yeah. your book. <laughs> And we're putting it in our show notes so everybody can have a have access uh to to where to get it.
1: We will in any any uh talk of an audiobook version of this book coming out. Thanks Is it, for that does,
3: idea. I
1: don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, no we'd have to ask the publisher. I haven't heard that well yet. i mean i I
1: immediately go for the audiobook version and the you know the Kindle version. I read it on my Kindle, but I immediately go for audible and i I see you know the you know mindful parenting for a d h d for example is already in there like you've you 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 already have uh an engine for audible books, and boy, I know there are people in our community who would be uh raising their hand for for the audiobook version, so for what it's worth
3: yeah, I have a an audible um book coming out probably by the end of the year they haven't given me a date yet but it's it's for maybe and this might be the one that you were thinking of nikki is for um uh parents and educators and therapists for teen girls and it's all about Mm self-compassion and teen girls
1: well uh this has been terrific can you give us a just any other plug anything else anywhere else you would like people to go to learn more about you and your work karen why don't you go first Sure. Well,
3: I just
1: updated my website.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic! I finally
3: hired somebody to do Yay. it.
0: So finally. So it's KarenBluth.com. Great. And my my website is DevelopmentalDoctor.com, all spelled out. And um, I have a, like an ADHD resource page and a mindfulness resource page and things like that up there. Outstanding. So um, and everything else you can everything else about Great. me is up
1: there. links in the show notes as well as direct links to the book. Uh, check it out everybody mindfulness and self-compassion for teen adhd but it's great for everybody my inner (laughs) teen loves it too thank you everybody for downloading and listening to this show thank you for your time and your attention don't forget if you have something to contribute about this conversation we're heading over to the show talk channel in the discord server you can join us right there by becoming a supporting member at the deluxe level on behalf of karen bluth and mark burton and, of course, Nikki Kinzer, I'm Pete Wright. And we'll catch you right back here next week on Taking a Droll, the ADHD podcast.